You are listening to audio from Pastor Mark Driscoll. To find more helpful content like this, as well as daily devotions, Ask Pastor Mark videos, resources for leaders, and much more, visit markdriscoll.org. While there, you can also make a donation that will help support the ministry and subscribe to continue getting Bible-based teaching. If you live in or are visiting the greater Phoenix Valley, please feel free to come and see Pastor Mark at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona. Thank you for listening and being a part of Mark Driscoll Ministries. And remember, it's all about Jesus. All right, if you've got a Bible, go to John chapter 5. We're taking basically a year. We're going line by line through the gospel of John. And really, it's all about Jesus and people. Thus far, we've learned about Jesus, and we learn a lot about Jesus as we see him minister to and interact with various people. We've seen Jesus deal with Jewish people, Samaritan people, Roman people, different nations, cultures that typically and invariably didn't get along very well, but Jesus pursued each of them. We've seen Jesus deal with men and women, young and old, rich and poor, powerful and powerless and those who are healthy and those who are sick. It just goes to show everybody needs Jesus and Jesus has a ministry for everybody. And what you're going to meet today is a guy who has been sick. He has been disabled. He has been in chronic pain and suffering for 38 years, which is longer than most men in that day or many men in that day, I should say, would even live. And so some of you struggle with this. Your health is not great. You have chronic health problems. You have chronic pain and suffering. For some of you, even getting out of bed in the morning comes with a certain degree of discomfort and coming to church takes a tremendous amount of effort. You will relate to this man and his struggling and in his suffering. And so we pick up the story in John chapter five, verses one through seven. And today we're asking Jesus question. And that is, do you want to be healed. Here's the story. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. Think holiday, think Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, something of that nature. People get together, they get a day off. It's a time to remember God. It's that season. There was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. This is the place that God designated that the temple would be built and that he would be present. And so God's people will go to this place to be in God's presence and to sing God's praises. This is the place where people come to meet with God. Now they're in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. There's a specific area in this large temple, and it's called the sheep gate. They would bring the sheep in for sacrifice. This is probably the gate that was designated for the sheep to be brought through. Since it's for the sheep, not for the people, I'm just going to throw it out there. Probably not the best gate. Amen? Right? This is, this is not the best place in the temple, but it shows you the value of God's word when it comes to history and archaeology. It tells us not only is there a temple, there is a pool, there is a gate, and it has five colonnades. One thing that really is helpful to the Bible is archaeology. As archaeologists dig up the past, they find that when the Bible says that there was a place, that place actually existed. When there was a person, that that person actually existed. And so it just goes to confirm the historicity and the trustworthiness of God's word. And here it gives us some some pretty significant detail. In the temple, there's a gate, five colonnades. This is all historically true and accurate. Some years ago, my family and I had the honor of going to Jerusalem, going to what remains of the Temple Mount, and this place still exists. We went to this place. It is ultimately a pool you'll learn about in a moment. And it is still there because God's word is true. And when it says something happened, it happens. And when it says a place exists, that place exists. And I've been here and, and my memory of this place is it wasn't that large. And it felt more like a cave. And it was a place that was a little hot and you've got a pool of water. Think more like a sauna, people packed in. This is not the most pleasant place to be. Uh, and what happens is here, the story continues. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. The reason they're there is there is a pool of water And on occasion, without announcement, an angel would come down, stir the pool, kind of like a hot tub, turn on the jets. Next thing you know, the pool is swirling, and that meant that God would be healing. And so what would happen is they would gather around and they'd wait for the angel to come stir the waters, and the first person in got healed, one and done. That's all there is. Now just imagine the frantic nature of this location. Imagine people that are sick, people that are dying, people that are disabled, people that they've spent all their money and there is no medical treatment. They've cried out to God in prayer and healing has not yet come. And they are just yearning, longing, struggling, weeping, praying, crying for healing. They come to this place and they sit there day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. 
Imagine all of these people packed in. Imagine the smell of this place. People that can't get up and go to the bathroom, people who can't go bathe and care for themselves and do the normal course of life that many of us just simply take for granted and don't even consider. Imagine the sound, people crying, people yelling, people arguing, people crying out to God. This is not the kind of place that most of us would want to go. It's, it's a difficult, discouraging, desperate place. But Jesus comes to earth, God comes to earth, and he goes right to this place and he goes right to those people. And it just goes to show that in some regard, we're all like that. We all have our brokenness, we all have our sickness, we all have our struggles. And it's really encouraging that Jesus would come to broken people in a desperate place and do a wonderful thing. That's the story. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. They think of this, 38 years, this guy had not taken a step. This guy had not been able to care for himself. He's not able to provide a living. He's not able to have a wife, children. His future is very, very bleak. He has at this point in all likelihood lost hope. After 38 years, you assume this is how life will be. There is no change for me. That's where this man emotionally finds himself. For those of you that are here today and you have some sort of ailment, illness, cancer, disability, chronic pain, or you love someone that struggles with this same kind of situation, you have empathy and compassion. Jesus has empathy and compassion. That's why he goes there. That's why he goes there. In fact, of all dimensions of Jesus' emotions in the New Testament, compassion is the most frequently cited emotion that Jesus has. He has a lot of empathy and compassion for those who are struggling and those who are suffering. And this man is suffering greatly for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and he knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, I want you to see, he doesn't speak to everyone. He speaks to one man. And he asks this curious question, do you want to be healed? Uh, This is a a bit of an odd question, perhaps at first glance. Well, I'm at the pool where people get healed. Why would I be here if I didn't want to get healed? Let me say this. I'm gonna say it tenderly and lovingly, but I wanna say it clearly. Not everyone wants to get better. Not everyone wants things to change. Some people are in this place because they want company. They're alone and they're lonely, so they want company. Some people are in this place because they want sympathy. They want others to pass by and to feel sorry for them. Others are here because they want charity. They want those with large hearts to open up their large wallets and to give large gifts. Not everyone is there to get healed. Some are, but not all are. In some regards, this place is much like a church. It's where people come together and you would think they were all coming so that they could get better, their lives could be changed, that something that they are struggling with or suffering from could be touched by God and healed. But true or false, let's just take a little poll. How many of you don't think that everybody who goes to church today wants their life to change? Many don't, many don't. Some want sympathy, some want company, some want charity. And so Jesus asked this question, do you want to be healed? I wanna show you this, the want to precedes the how to. Uh, Do you want to? That's the want to. And what's going to happen in a moment, Jesus is gonna give him some exhortations for the how-to, but the want-to precedes the how-to. I didn't know this as a new pastor. I thought, well, if people are gonna meet with me, it's because they want their life to change. All I gotta do is tell them how to do it. And then I realized not everybody wants to. I'll give you a hypothetical example. A couple is married and not getting along, okay? I know this never happens. It's a hypothetical situation, okay? A husband and a wife are married and they don't get along. You can sit there and tell them, here are all the things that you could do to change your marriage life relationship. Here are all the how-tos. If they don't have the want to, nothing happens. Nothing happens. I'll never forget. Young pastor, naive, hopeful, joyful, had bangs. It was a wonderful day. It's a long time ago. And I was sitting down with this couple and they were fighting and arguing and disagreeing and debating. And I told him, well, you need to do this. And I told her, you need to do that. I said, you guys gonna do it? And they said, no. I said, well, it'll help your relationship. They said, we don't. I said, he, he told me, he said, I, I don't really wanna work on it. I look at her, she, she said, I don't wanna work on it either. Okay, all the how to is of no use unless you want to. 
So Jesus asked, do you want to get healed? I'll give you another example. Let's say there was a petite young woman who loved ballet. Ballet had changed her life. It had been revolutionary and improved her life in every way. And she cared for me. And so she came to me and said, Pastor Mark, ballet has changed my life. I would like to encourage you to pursue ballet. Okay? I don't know why you're laughing. This is no illustration in the house of God. Okay? This is a serious moment. Okay, so let's say this woman looks at me and she says, Pastor Mark, I, I paid for classes for you to learn ballet. Um, and I have YouTube videos on things called stretching and you need to start there. Maybe drop something, pick it up, you know, start simple. Um, I don't know about that. Okay, so, and then she said, okay, and I bought you the shoes and you could shove your furry feet in them and then you could stand up on your toes and, and, and then Pastor Mark, I'll meet with you and, and I'll teach you how to like spin and, and whatever ballerinas do. And uh, I have a tutu for you, you. And I, I would say... Uh, I would say all of the how-to to me means nothing because I don't want to. I, you know, she's like, pray about it. No, I don't, no. The Lord, the Lord doesn't need to be involved in this. My decision is firm and unyielding. <laughs> right? I, I know for a fact, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that God did not predestine me before the foundations of the world to be a ballerina. I know that for a fact. But my wife says, amen. Okay, so um, in that, thank you, honey. We're two more in agreement. There's power. So we agree on that. And so... But the point is this, all the how-to means nothing if I don't want to, okay? All the how-to, for we live in a world of how-to. You go to the store, let's say the bookstore, and, and there's a whole section of how-to, how to lose weight, how to balance your checkbook, how to have a loving marriage. There's tons of how-to. The want-to precedes the how to? The question is, do you want your life to change? Do you want things to be different? Do you want to be healed up? Do you want things to get better? I've talked to doctors all the time and they ask this question of their patients. Doctors are seeking to bring healing, but oftentimes people don't want to change. I mean, I've talked to doctors who will say, I've had a conversation with a patient recently and told them, you're going to die. Your lifestyle is killing you. You need to make changes. You need to give up your Edo's diet, Doritos, Fritos, Taquitos, Cheetos, Burritos, right? You need to give up your Edo's diet. You need to go find a vegetable. They exist. You'll, you need to change your lifestyle. You need to exercise. You need to eat better. You need to get some sleep because you're killing yourself. And some people make no changes. They'll come back to the doctor a year later. How am I doing? The same. That's what I expected. I haven't changed anything. The want to precedes the how to. If you want to change, you can learn how to change. If you want something in your life that is broken to be healed, there are ways for that to happen if that's what you want to happen. Do you understand that? So Jesus would ask you this same question today. What do you bring to this place that is broken? Maybe it's emotional. Maybe it's mental, maybe it's spiritual, maybe it's financial, maybe it's physical, maybe it's relational. There's something that is broken. There is something that is not working. There is something that is painful. And you're here. The question is, do you want to be healed? Do you want that to change? Do you want to change? That's the question. The sick man answered him. The answer is awkward, honestly. This seems like a yes or no question, Amen. Instead, what he does, he tells us the terrible tale. The terrible tale is why his life is so miserable, not how God could change it. You want your terrible tale to become your redemption tale. You wanna tell the story of the pain in your life that you brought to God and then he healed it so you could move forward. This man does not have a redemption tale. He has a terrible tale. Here's his terrible tale. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool and the water is stirred up and while I'm going down another steps in front of me. I'm here, I'm a victim, I can't get in, nobody helps me. Some guy cut in line, he got healed, ran home and here I am just left in total misery. There's no hope for me, have sympathy. Some of you have a terrible tale. What's broken in your life? I have a terrible tale. I'll tell you who broke it, when they broke it, how they broke it, where they broke it, why it's still broken. Jesus would come and say, do you want me to heal that? Do you want me to fix that? Do you want me to change that? Some of you would say, no, because I like complaining about it. It's a lot easier to complain than it is to change. And some of you just don't like change. I know I've gone from preaching to meddling. You're welcome. But some of you, you just don't like change. You're like, I will take the miserable life I know for the future that is uncertain. How about this man? Does he ask God to heal him? Nope. 
Does it say he has faith? Nope. This is how sometimes the Lord works. He comes to us. We don't come to him. He calls out to us. We don't call out to him. He has faith for us. We don't yet have faith in him. The story continues. We'll see what Jesus will do. John chapter five, verses eight and forward. Jesus said to him, get up. This is an instantaneous healing. Sometimes God works through a process. Sometimes you're injured, you go in for surgery or a doctor and physical therapy and rehabilitation. It's a process. Sometimes emotionally, you're brokenhearted, you forgive someone, you work through a process, you come to a point of inner healing and you move forward. God can and does work sometimes through a process, but sometimes God works in an instant. Sometimes God accelerates the process so that change happens in a very short duration. There's a man in this church that I talked to recently, and he would say that most of his life, maybe the first 40 years plus, was drug and alcohol addiction and brokenness. He met Jesus and was just completely delivered in an instant. His desires changed, his behavior changed, his identity changed, everything changed in an instant. He's not relapsed or gone backward. For some of you, something like that is a process, and we want to honor that, but sometimes God doesn't work through a process. He works in an instant. This man experiences the healing power of Jesus in an instant. And it gives us hope. In an instant, he just says, get up. Get up. This guy hasn't gotten up in 38 years. Take your bed, your mat, and walk. At once, the man was healed. God's power is unleashed. And in an instant, 38 years of suffering is relinquished. And God's healing is present. And he took up his bed and walked. Can you imagine this? Now, again, he didn't heal everyone. He healed just one. Everyone else is watching this. And this man gets up and walks away. Hey, later. He's out. And he's carrying his bedroll with him to remind him of what used to be and no longer is. The thing that used to carry him, he now carries. The thing that limited him to a place is the thing that he can take with him to any place. His life has changed. Now, that was the Sabbath. The Sabbath in the Old Testament was Saturday. It starts in God's creation account in Genesis. Six days God worked, one day God rested. The Sabbath is for the body to rest because you need a break from work. If you don't take a break, you will break. God loves you. He doesn't want you to break. So he tells you to take a break. It's called the Sabbath. It's for your body. And it's also for your soul. It was a day of worship to meet with God's people, to come into God's presence, to sing God's praises. Your body needs to be in a recovery process. Your soul needs a replenishing process. That was the purpose of the Sabbath. We worship on Sunday because that was the day of Jesus' resurrection. That means that all things have been made new with the resurrection of Jesus. When it came to the founding of America, they couldn't decide, well, do we do the Jewish Saturday or the Christian Sunday? So we got a two-day weekend. Amen. Okay, so we're double blessed. We're double blessed. So it's the Sabbath for them. It's a Saturday. So the Jews, these are religious leaders. Here they come, clipboard, shirt tucked in their dockers, clean shaven, furrowed brow, pointy finger, looking over their glasses with a clipboard. Okay, you were healed. Tell us the details. We want to make sure it was according to the manual. They can't even be happy about a healing. You know, you know there's a problem with you when somebody gets healed and your first thought is, I wonder if it was done wrong. What? <laughs> really? Really? <laughs> These guys are no fun at all. So here come the religious leaders. Wah, wah, wah. Here they come. They're going to come investigate. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath. It's this, you're not supposed to do this on the Sabbath. And it is not lawful for you to take, you broke a rule. You broke a rule, you picked up your bed. You're not allowed to pick up your bed on the Sabbath. So let's talk about this. Does the Bible forbid you from taking up your bed on the Sabbath? No. God's word has principles and then God's people have methods. God's principles are unchanging the methods are changing. The, the principles are singular. The methods are multiple. In the Bible, God said, take the Sabbath day. It's a day of rest. That's the principle. God laid out some methods, but he didn't answer every potential hypothetical situation. So the religious leaders came in and said, okay, God, thank you for writing the book. We noticed you didn't finish it. We're here to help. 
Okay, so they started adding to God's word. They started putting a lot of fine print in addition to God's word. And one of their things was, number one, no healing on the Sabbath unless someone is dying. Okay, was this man dying? Technically, no. He'd been this way for 38 years. So Jesus, you did a bad thing. You should have waited till Tuesday. Nice healing, wrong day. In addition, you were not allowed to carry something on the Sabbath. And here is this man carrying his mat because Jesus told him to. Let me say this. We want to cling to God's principles and we want to be flexible with our methods. Okay? I'll give you an example because Christians fight over methods all the time because what we'll do, we'll take our principle, we'll affix it to God's method. And if you don't use my method, you're disobeying God's principle. And that's what they were doing. And they're arguing with Jesus. Let me just say this. If you're arguing with Jesus, rethink your position. <clears throat> Jesus, you don't know the Bible. You'd be surprised, right? Like, so let me give you an example, okay? Because uh, So we have children at the Trinity Church. The Bible says principally that parents should educate their children. Methods, okay? Methods, homeschool, private school, public school, charter school, Christian school, online school, methods, Right? If you want to see a real beatdown, ask the moms which one is most godly. Right? We'll put an octagon in the middle. We'll do three-minute rounds. And it's probably going to come down to the homeschool mom and the public school mom. Right? And maybe at the end, you know, it's going to be a chokehold, and maybe the homeschool mom taps out. I don't know how it's going to end. Right? It's going to get ugly, though. Be a lot of bodies getting carried out on stretchers. Because we fight over the, that's not funny. No, it's hilarious. Okay, so what happens is we fight over the methods and we lose sight of the, the principle. I believe, for example, with wisdom, wise counsel, prayer, the leading of the Holy Spirit, you make that decision for each child each year, do what's best, okay? So what they didn't understand was the distinction between principle and methods, God said, rest on the Sabbath. That's the principle. They said, no healing and no carrying a mat. Well, those were their methods, but that was not God's principle. You need to be very careful. So he answered them, this is crazy. Jesus healed the guy. And they come to the guy and they're like, what are you doing carrying your mat? He's like, uh, Jesus told me to, you should go bust him. He, he, <laughs> if, let me just say this. If you get healed, Cover for that person, okay? Just cover for them. You owe them one, amen? You owe them one. Like you were sitting on a mat, you went to the bathroom on for 38 years and now you're up walking around and they come to you and they're like, we're gonna bust you. He's like, oh, Jesus said to, go get him. He answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. I'm a victim. I didn't ask to be healed. I didn't ask to carry my mat. They asked him, who is the man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. He didn't even ask Jesus what his name was. Didn't even know who Jesus was. That's amazing to me. If Jesus healed you, they could be like, hey, what's your name? Thanks. Give him the knuckles. Anything. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. The man who had been healed did not know who it was for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. So Jesus got in, Jesus got out. Ninja Jesus. Can't find him. He's gone. Ninja Jesus. It's in the... Greek. Uh, afterward, <laughs> Jesus found him in the temple. So he's, he's walking around the temple and said to him, see, you are well, you're healed. It's all better. We did it, right? You're fixed. Things are good. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. Sin no more. That nothing worse may happen to you. There are four different causations for suffering. It's important to understand this. The first is sin has entered the world, death, destruction, sickness, suffering, and strife have entered the world. And there is not always a cause and effect. Some things we just don't understand. Just don't understand. It says it this way in Romans chapter five, I'll give you a verse, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's our father, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all because all sinned. The world is just broken. When God made the world, he said that everything was very good. We sinned and something has gone very wrong. As a result, there is strife, suffering, and sickness. 
And sometimes it is not cause and effect. Some of you have a very tender conscience and you think every time I'm suffering, it must be because of something that I have done, direct causation and corollary. That's not always the case. Um, Last night, my my 14-year-old daughter and I, we were snuggled up on the couch and there's someone that we love very dearly. She is a beautiful young woman who loves Jesus with all her heart. She always has a flower bow on her hair. She's one of the most wonderful people we've ever met. And she's got spina bifida. She's in a wheelchair. She has a lot of medical issues. And um, my daughter was texting with this friend of hers and this gal that we love. And I was like, let's FaceTime her because I like doing crazy things and making people laugh. Um, and, you know, ah, and this little girl said, I, I have medical issues right now. I can't FaceTime, but I can text, you know. She is a godly, beautiful, wonderful, sweet, adorable young woman. And her body is broken, but her soul is healthy. Okay, and I would just say this is a broken, fallen world and some things are just not right. And I can't wait until the day when she's, you know, jumping over her wheelchair like she's a hurdler at a track meet. I look forward to that. Right. There are some situations you go, you know what? The world is just broken and people are broken and, and it's not a direct corollary or causation. The second is sometimes you're the victim. Someone has done something to bring you harm and suffering and pain. A drunk driver, you know, plows through an intersection and hits your car and you're in surgery and now you've got chronic pain for the rest of your life. It was because of someone else's offense against you. Sometimes it is demonic. Satan and demons are real and they cause real harm in the lives of real people. On on the occasions that Jesus healed, if memory serves me correct, about 20% of the gospels, the four stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, talk about Jesus healing ministry. And at least seven of those, if memory serves me correct, were Jesus healing someone by causing demonic deliverance. They were oppressed by Satan and demons and that spiritual oppression caused physical suffering. Uh, This is the case with a guy named Job. He was righteous and he loved God and he suffered a lot because he was under demonic torment and attack. I'll give you one example from uh, the gospel of Matthew verse eight, chapter eight, verse 16. That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. Sometimes there's sickness and suffering because the world is just broken until Jesus comes back, all will not be well. And we will not be well. Sometimes it is because someone has sinned against us or done something to cause us harm. Sometimes it is demonic and spiritual. And let's just be honest, sometimes we hurt ourselves. We did things to bring pain into our own life. And sometimes when you're suffering, you can be so filled with pain that you forget your participation in the problem. We don't know what this man's situation was but he's in the fourth category. Uh, Jesus healed a little boy earlier and he seemed to be in the first category. You're gonna see people in these various categories be ministered to by the Lord Jesus because he loves everyone and he can serve anyone. But this man, there is some sin in his life. We don't know what that sin was. We do not know. Maybe it was self-destructive behavior. Maybe it was drinking himself to death. Maybe it was hard, reckless living. Maybe this was dangerous behavior. Maybe this was rebellion against God that ultimately cost him very dearly in a way that caused him much grief and pain. I don't know. But let me ask you this. Do you wanna get well? And is any of the pain in your life caused by your own sin and rebellion against God? Because see, sometimes what people will even do They'll have pain in their life and they'll point their finger at God. Look what you did. It's your fault. I'm suffering. Why don't you fix it? And God's like, actually, you need to be honest and consider that you are at least part of your problem. You're at least part of your problem. This man has sin and that is his problem. And Jesus tells him, you've been healed and your life will continue to go well unless you go back to your pattern of sin. How many people God delivers them and they go back to their pattern of sin? What Jesus is telling this man, pick up your mat and walk, is literally you need to get up and you need to get going. Because see, Jesus healed this man, but he could have sat there for another 38 years. 
You can be healed and continue to sit in the misery that you experienced previously. That's a choice. That's a choice. This can happen emotionally. This can happen physically. This can happen financially. This can happen relationally. This can happen spiritually. This can happen in any number of ways. I'm not trying to pick on you. I'm trying to propel you to look at your life and ask, is there anything that Jesus has delivered me from that I am still sitting in? It's not just a change internally, it's a change externally. Jesus has changed him internally. He needs to get up and he needs to get going externally. For some of you, this is God's word to you today. There's a guy in the Old Testament, his name is Lot. He has a lot of problems and a lot of family drama. And one of his dramatic problems is his wife. God tells them, you're living in Sodom and Gomorrah, this horrible place, get up and leave, right? Grab your stuff, pick up your mat and get going, but don't what? Don't look back. Don't look back. You need to forget that life. You need to forget that lifestyle. You need to forget those life choices. You need to forget those relationships. It's time to move forward. What does his wife do? She turns around. She looks back. She turns into a pillar of salt. Paul says it this way in Philippians. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, I press forward into God's call for my life. You can't go forward, my friend, while you're looking backward. You can't have a redemption tale if all you're ever telling is your tragic tale. Some of you, God has done great things. He's forgiven you, he's loved you, he's healed you, he's encouraged you, he's filled you, he's called you. And you sit there on your mat. And it's time to change. It's time to get up. It's time to move forward. It's time to do something different. And that's what Jesus is telling this man. This is what Jesus is telling all of his people. What is it that you need to walk away from so that you can walk to the destiny and future that God has for you? Some of you just don't like change and some of you like the company and some of you like the sympathy and, and some of you like the charity. And Jesus is saying, get up and go. Time to move on. Heal up, forgive, give it to me, leave it there, bury it, get going. There's hope in that, but for some of you, there's there's also fear in that. The story continues, Jesus heals the man, and then Jesus starts to have a conflict with the religious people. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who was healed him. Can you believe that? He's walking around, woo, I'm doing better. Hey, it's the Sabbath. Oh yeah, right. Not supposed to get healed on the Sabbath. Not supposed to carry a mat on the Sabbath. The religious guys come up. Who did this? He's like, I figured it out. It was Jesus. Go get Jesus. Go get him. And this was why the Jews, the religious leaders were, what's the word? Persecuting Jesus. This is the beginning of Jesus' suffering. This man healed Jesus' suffering. Excuse me, let me say it differently. Jesus healed this man's suffering. And in exchange, this man started Jesus' suffering. This is ministry, by the way. Some of you have been in ministry. Let me just do a little healing for myself. This is ministry. I helped you, you hurt me. Ministry, right? (laughs) Ministry. Jesus helped this man. This man's gonna hurt Jesus. Jesus ended this man's suffering and this man will start Jesus' suffering. And and what this is, this is the beginning of Jesus' persecution. This persecution is going to continue with Jesus for the rest of his life, all the way up till his crucifixion. Just goes to show, sometimes you get in trouble for doing the right thing, but sometimes you get in trouble for doing the wrong thing. And just because you're in trouble doesn't mean you've done the wrong thing. Jesus did the right thing. He healed this man. And he's getting in trouble for loving and helping and serving and healing someone. He was doing these things on the Sabbath, but Jesus answered them. You, you think that Jesus might back off. See, re, these, are, these are people who are domineering. They're overbearing. They're bullying. They're pushy. They're public. They're demanding. They're telling Jesus, you need to stop doing this. You need to obey us. You need to submit to us. You need to do what we tell you to do. You think Jesus might back off. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I offend you? Did I spank your inner child? I'm so Sorry. Don't, don't say bad things about me. Uh, you know, I, don't, I fear man issues. I don't like it when people criticize me. Uh, you know. No, Jesus actually steps up, not back. 
He increases his clarity and he is incredibly focused. Here's what he says. But Jesus answered them, my father, this is a strong statement. My father is working until now and I am working. What he's saying is this, God is a father, I am his son, I go to work with my dad. In this way, the kingdom of God is kind of like a family business. Kind of like a family. How many of you are in a family business? Okay, we're praying for you. Good luck with that. You're working with your relatives and the goal in a family business is raise up the business and then hand it off to family. You work together. God the Father, God the Son, it's like a family. The kingdom of God is like a family business. Jesus shows up and they're like, we don't like what you're doing. He said, take it up with my father. I'm just doing what the father tells me to do. I'm saying what the father tells me to say. I'm going where the father tells me to go. If you have a problem with me, you have a problem with him. My father is working until now and I'm working. This is why the Jews, the religious leaders were seeking all the more to kill him. They're gonna kill him for healing a guy. And he's gonna rise from death and heal himself. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Now, let me just make this abundantly clear. Some of you have been told that Jesus never said he was God. It's myth, legend, fable, and folklore. It was added long after the Bible was written. It is tradition that is added to the scriptures that Jesus himself never declared himself to be God. It is absolutely clear that Jesus emphatically, publicly, openly, repeatedly, clearly, unapologetically, with tremendous certainty and clarity, said he was God. He said he was God. He said he was God. He said he was God. That's why the persecution continued all the way up until his crucifixion, because he was making himself equal with God, like father, like son. That's exactly what he is saying. And you need to understand that Jesus' claims are incredibly unique. Other religions will say that Jesus is a good man, but they do not see him as the God man. This is the distinguishing feature of Christian belief. You can draw a line through history, and it really is two categories. Those who believe that Jesus is God and the Son of God, and those who do not. I'll give you some examples. The Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower Society said, Jesus never claimed to be God. Yes, he did. The Baha'is say that Jesus is a manifestation of God and a prophet, but inferior to their prophets in quotes, Muhammad and Baha'u'llah. Buddhism says that Jesus is not God, but he is an enlightened man like the Buddha. And Christian science founder, Mary Baker Eddy, and I, this is the weird thing too with Christian science. Christian science reminds me of grape nuts. I opened a box of grape nuts. It's like, there's no grapes, there's no nuts. I don't know who named this. I go over to Christian science. I'm like, there's no Christians, there's no science. But nonetheless, just an observation. We'll edit that out. It's true and not appropriate. So... Um, the founder of Christian science says, Jesus Christ is not God, right? And so ultimately it really comes down to what you think about Jesus. Uh, there was a judge named Gaynor in New York. He looked at all of the evidence. He said, quote, it is plain from each of the gospel narratives that the alleged crime for which Jesus was tried and convicted was blasphemy. Why do they oppose him? Why do they hate him? Why do they harass him? Why do they falsely accuse him? Why do they try him? Why do they arrest him? Why do they beat him? Why do they flog him? Why do they crucify him? Because he kept saying he was God. And the only way to get him to cease saying he was God was to kill him. And then he rises from death and proves everyone wrong because no one says what Jesus says and no one does what Jesus does because there is no one like Jesus. That's why. And ultimately, you need to know, my friend, there is no other major world religion in which the founder has said, I am God. No one makes that claim. Jesus' claim is without precedent. It is without parallel. It is without peer. And he keeps saying it and he keeps suffering for saying it because it's either true or false. We want you to agree with Jesus. He is God. He is the son of God. He is God become a man seeking a relationship. That he is God coming to you as he came to this man. He is a God who comes to you to heal you. He is a God who comes to pursue you. He's a God who comes to love you. He's a God who comes to embrace you. He's a God who comes to transform you, even if it should cost him his own persecution and suffering. 
This is the greatness and the glory of Jesus. He doesn't just do this for that person. He'll do it for many persons. This is how Jesus conducts himself. And this is who Jesus declares himself to be. Amen. He says he's God. He heals a guy and they say, we don't like what you're doing. And he says, well, I'm God. And if you disagree with me, let's talk about that issue. Some of you disagree with Jesus. You don't like things he said. You don't like things he's done. Or in your life, you wish he was doing things differently. You need to trust that he is God. You need to bring your pain problems to him for healing. You need to pick up your mat and you need to walk with him and walk away from the life you were living. Jesus continues. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, or amen, amen. And I love the fact that Jesus tells us the truth. Um, At least 40 times, if memory serves me correct, in John's gospel, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth, I tell you the truth. Truly, 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 we live in a world, I don't even know what the truth is, amen? How many of you, something happens, you watch two newscasts, you're like, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. I can't get the facts, I can't get the truth. It's just absolutely uncertain. Jesus tells the truth. Jesus tells the truth. I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Father, son, we're doing it all together. If you have a problem with me, you have a problem with him. Some people say, I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in God. I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in a higher power. I don't believe in Jesus, but I believe in some supernatural divine force. And Jesus says, you know what? It's me and the father. If you reject me, you reject him. If you don't know me, you don't know him. Because Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the... Father, Colossians says that he is the image of the invisible God. He's a mirror on the earth. When you look at Jesus, you see the character of God the Father. And if you reject Jesus, you're rejecting God the Father. The Father for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son, relational, warm, and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. Because it's not just one guy who's gonna be healed. It's Jesus who's gonna go into the grave and come forth conquering death. For as the father raises the dead, there's a good promise, my friend. Some of you are sick and you need to know that all of God's children will be healed. The question is not if, the question is when. The question is when. And I'm sorry for your suffering Some of you, I I know your struggle and your pain and your chronic injury and illness. It would be wonderful if God healed you and maybe he will. But I can tell you this, there is a day coming when you will be raised from the dead. Not only did God call this man to pick up his mat and walk, God will call all of his children out of their graves to walk into total health for all eternity. I look forward to seeing some of you healed up Some of you come forward for communion in wheelchairs. I look forward to racing you and seeing which one of us is faster in our resurrection body. I don't think my odds are good, but I I wanna see. Some of you have chronic injury and illness. I'm so excited to see you fully healed up together forever. Jesus says, you know, this is just the beginning. The king is here, the kingdom has begun. Here's a little sneak preview of how it's gonna be for God's people forever. You need hope, my friend, you need hope. You need hope as much as you need air. You need hope as much as you need water. You need hope. And the hope is that this is as close to hell as you will ever be. And the eternal life with Jesus begins the moment that you meet him. And it continues forever in his presence where all of God's children will be healed forever. That's what Jesus is saying. You think this is amazing? Wait till you see what's coming. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna rise. I'm gonna defeat death. I'm gonna defeat the devil. And I'm going to cause my people to rise from death to be together with me and like me forever. You know, it's amazing. Did this guy ask for this? No. Some of you, this is your story. You're like, I wasn't looking for God. God was looking for me. I didn't ask to get saved, healed, forgiven. He just did it. That's how great Jesus is. That's how great Jesus is. He gives gift to people who don't even want the gift. That's how great he is. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. 
For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He who does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Okay, a couple of things I want to point out. One, the power of agreement and unity. Here's what Jesus says. Me and the father, we're working together. Division literally means two visions. They have one vision. If you have division, if you're working against each other, two people negate each other. They're pulling against each other. Some of you, this is your marriages. He's pulling this way, she's pulling this way. There is no progress. You're stuck. You need agreement. You need alignment in your relationship with God. Some of you are pulling against God. You're not in agreement and alignment. You're pulling against God. It's why you're stuck. Some of you in your marriage, you're pulling against your spouse. Some of you in your family, you know, parent, child, pulling against each other. In your place of work, workers pulling against each other. In ministry, people pulling against each other. The result is a waste of energy, no forward progress. What Jesus says is, the Father and I, we're in alignment. We're in unity. We're in agreement. What we're doing, we're doing together. Who we're healing, we're healing together. The kingdom of God, we rule over it together. We, we are in alignment. We are in agreement. I want that for you. I want that for you with God because these people come to Jesus. They're against Jesus. They're against God. They're literally pulling against God's will. And they think that they're doing it in the name of God. I don't know if it's true. They say that one ox can carry its weight, it can pull or plow its weight, but two oxen yoked together can do much more than that. Jesus uses this analogy that as we yoke together with him, we're a lot more effective. We can get a lot more done. There's a lot more progress, pull power. I looked at it on the internet. I don't know if it's true because most of the stuff on the internet's not true. It's just not. It's naughty videos, stuff about cats and the president. The most popular stuff is naughty presidential cat videos. So I don't trust everything on the internet. Just throwing it out there. So, but what I did read was that two oxen yoked and pulling together, one oxen can carry their weight. Two oxen can carry four, maybe eight times their weight. That's the power of pulling together. That's the power of unity. That's the power of agreement. What Jesus is saying here is the father and I, we're pulling together and you're pulling against us. How many of you, your life is very hard because you are not yoked together with God. You're not yoked together with those people that you're supposed to be doing life together with. There's no agreement. There's disagreement. There's no pulling together. There's pulling apart. There is power in unity and agreement. Nothing in our life would work unless Grace and I had the power of unity and agreement. Our family does not work. Our ministry does not work. Our covenant does not work. We have 30 years of celebration of our first date coming up, what, tomorrow? Right? And, and we, we have had seasons where we were not aligned and we wasted energy. When we yoke together with the Lord, then we see great progress and momentum. And I love you and I want the power of agreement and unity in your life. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Number two, I want you to see how Jesus explains his relationship with God, father and son. Jesus on some 65 occasions refers to God as father. It is his favorite designation of God. It's a warm term, Abba. They have a hard time translating it because it's, it's sort of the affection of a dad, but the respect of a father. It's both. It's one who is in authority, but also a warm relationship. John Calvin, an older Bible teacher said that sometimes God's ways are so complex and his thoughts are so high and our our brains are so limited. We have three pound fallen brains. There's only so much that we can understand about these eternal and endless and fathomless and bottomless mysteries of God that sometimes he says God will use baby talk. He'll, He'll talk to us in a way of simile and metaphor and illustration and analogy and parable and use familial language to help us conceive of something that is remarkable. So God's trying to tell us what the relationship within the Trinity is, there's the Holy Spirit and there's God, the Son and God, the Father, Father, Son. That's warm relationship. Some of you struggle to see God as Father because you have a wound from your own father. 
I, I want this to be a helpful word, a healing word, a hopeful word for all people, but especially for the men. Usually when I meet with a man, if he has a problem with his wife, relationally, it starts with a problem with God the Father. When I see a man who has relational conflict and problems or distance with his children, it starts with a poor image of God as Father. When he has a lot of conflict with other men or leaders or he's isolated or he's alone, he's angry, he's grumpy, oftentimes he's, he's not having a warm, loving relationship with God as Father. Because what people tend to do, sadly, tragically, they tend to have their view of God be either a projection or a rejection of their earthly father. If it's a rejection, it is, my dad was in charge and overbearing and mean and dominant and God, you're like that and I wanted nothing to do with him and I want nothing to do with you. That's a projection of your earthly father on your heavenly father. Or it's a rejection. My dad never let me do anything. So God, I'm gonna have a view of you where you're the permissive parent. You let me do whatever I want. Many of you, most of you, your view of God is a projection or rejection of your earthly father. Some of you, my dad left when I was little and I don't really know him and he lives far away and he's non-relational. So that's my view of God. He's sovereign, he has providence, he works everything out, but we don't have a relationship. He's impersonal, he's far away. Some of you, dad hit me, dad beat me, dad abused me, dad was mean to me. Therefore, every time something happens, I assume God is, God is, God is punishing me. And he's abusive. Well, we need to heal that up. You do not judge your heavenly father by your earthly father. You judge your earthly father by your heavenly father. Jesus says that God is his father and he is the son of God. Let me tell you something remarkable. Well, let me use one analogy. Some of you men didn't even understand the father heart of God until you became a dad. We don't talk a lot about the fatherhood of God. And in our day, even talking about fatherhood is controversial in and of itself. There's a lot of books written on the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. A lot of them sadly are arguing about what he does and does not do. There's a number of books written about Jesus. There is very little written on God the Father. But it is the place of healing for many. How many of you men didn't even understand the Father heart of God until you had a baby and you're holding it? You're like, what? I love this baby. I want to protect. I want to know. I want a relationship with. I want to provide for. I want to make memories. I want to be there to help this kid. Amen? How many of you dads have felt that? You held your baby. You're like, wow, this is awesome. I should have been holding babies long before this. Some of you, you're like, I don't like babies, but I like this baby. This is my baby, right? Babies are awesome, by the way. There's never been a church split because of the babies. They're never the problem. Here's what I want you to know. God's heart is a father's heart. You are the children of God. Ladies, you're his little girl. Men, you're his boy. You're his sons and daughters. God's heart for you is a father's heart. It's a father's heart. That'll heal you. That'll heal you. And if you belong to the Lord Jesus, he is the son of God. That's what the father said over him at his baptism. We saw it earlier in John. The father declares from heaven over Jesus, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. If you're in Christ, you're in that position. You're in the same position of Jesus. He loves you. He's your father. He forgives you. He wants to help you and love you and serve you and instruct you and correct you and protect you and provide for you. He is building a home for you. He has an eternity planned of memory making with you. He sent your big brother, Jesus, to deal with your biggest problem, your sin problem, so that he could take away the death separation so that he could restore that relationship with you forever. You need to receive an understanding and a healing that God is a father and Jesus is the son of God. And if you belong to Jesus, you're in the same position of love, grace, affection, and relationship as Jesus. 
That's why Jesus can have confidence without arrogance. I don't go there, I go here. I don't say that, I say that. I don't do this, I don't do that. I know everybody's telling me what to do. I just wanna do whatever you want me to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who loves you, it doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. And then Jesus brings us great hope. Truly, truly, I say to you, make you a promise. Here's a pledge. Here's what's coming. We've only begun. An hour is coming and is now here. The king is here. The kingdom is here. The miracles, the signs, the wonders, they're all pointing to the coming of the kingdom. When the dead will hear the voice of the son of God, when Jesus Christ returns, my friend, he is gonna call you by name. Just as this man got up from his mat, you will get up from your grave. Just as he walked forward in newness of life, you will walk forward into eternal life. I have good news for you, Christian. This is as close to hell as you will ever be. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted to the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Jesus refers to himself 70 times as the son of man. It's in the seventh chapter of the Old Testament book of Daniel. What it means is this, God becomes a man and God enters into human history and the dead rise and they all give an account to him. No one will avoid Jesus. No one will bypass Jesus. No one will escape Jesus. You will die as Jesus died. Jesus will return and call us all forth from the grave and we will stand before him to give an account. And your eternal destiny is ultimately determined by who you say Jesus is. Do you believe he is the son of God? Do you believe he is God? Do you believe he came to do the work of the father? Do you believe he came to bring healing and eternal life? Some of you are non-Christian. You need to know that you are separated from God and that separation will endure eternally. That you will die, that you will rise, that you will give an account before Jesus and the punishment will fit the crime in an eternal prison of hell. Today, we can deal with your biggest problem. I have good news for you. If you don't like hell, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have to suffer because Jesus suffered. You don't need to endure the wrath of God because Jesus went to the cross and endured the wrath of God. You don't need to die in your sin because Jesus died for your sin. You have many problems, my friend. Your biggest problem is the sin problem and Jesus comes to deal with the sin problem, give you loving relationship with the Father, call you forth from death and bring you into an eternal destiny of nothing but healing and joy. Some of you will wonder, what are you trying to do, convert me? 100%, that's exactly what I'm trying to do. This is not a condo timeshare surprise pitch at the end. Let me just put it all on the table. You're going to hell. Let's fix that. Give your life, give your sin, give yourself to Jesus, amen? 100% of people that have taken up this deal do not regret it. All of God's people said? Amen. Amen. All right. In addition, he continues, do not marvel at this, a healing of one. Wait till the resurrection and the total healing of all. At the emotional, the physical, the spiritual level, not only in the body, but the soul. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life. All of God's children, life, 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 life. Life, God has life for you forever. God has life for you. And those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, the most important decision you will ever make is who you think Jesus is. The most important thing about you is who you believe Jesus is. This is the day that God has chosen for you to make this decision and to embrace this relationship. Here we are. It is what day? It is our Sabbath day. What day was this man healed on? Their Sabbath day. He got together around a pool of water. It rained today. It's perfect. All the circumstances are aligned. The heavens opened. Here we are at our little pool. Jesus healed him. Jesus touched him. Jesus pursued him. Jesus loved him. Jesus changed him. What does Jesus need to do in your life today? What does he need to heal? What does he need to forgive? What does he need to change? 
Here's my question. You ready? Do you want to be healed? Do you want to give that to Jesus? Do you want to pick up your mat and walk? You know what? I'm done with that. I'm done with that lifestyle. I'm done with that behavior. I'm I'm done with that bitterness. I'm done with that pity party. I'm done with that blame shifting. I'm done with that excuse making. Jesus, I want to be healed. And I want to pick up my mat and I want to walk. That's why you're here today. I don't know if you knew that. There are some things in your life that you need to give to Jesus. And they need to be buried. And you need to get up and you need to get going. Father God, I pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit in and amongst these wonderful, dear people that I love with all my heart. Father God, I pray that you would continually give me a father's heart for this church family. You'd give me the father's heart for this church family. God, these are wonderful people. I love them. But Lord Jesus, only you can heal them. I can teach them, but only you can heal them. So Lord Jesus, right now, I ask that you would send the Holy Spirit to reveal to them the place in their life that is broken and needs to be healed. The place where they are bitter and they need to forgive. The place where they are unwell and they need to be made well. The place where they just have a script that they read about their terrible tale that needs to become a story of redemption, of healing, of deliverance, of change. Holy Spirit, please minister in and to and through these people. Holy Spirit, for anyone that doesn't know the Lord Jesus, I pray right now you would do for them what you did for this man, that you would bring change at the deepest level in an instant. And Lord God, I pray for those who have been changed. You've forgiven them, you've taught them, you've saved them, you've delivered them, and they are just sitting on their mat. They have not gotten up and made the changes that are in accordance with the change that you have made. Lord Jesus, help these dear people to get up out of their seats, to get up out of their lifestyle, to get up out of their habits, to get up out of their identity, and to move forward into the newness of life and the next season you have for them. And Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died, that you suffered and died, that you got out of the grave, that you conquered death, that you conquered hell, that you conquered sin, that you give us healing ultimately, eternally at all levels, that there is nothing that is beyond your hand. There is nothing beyond your reach. There is nothing beyond your authority. There is nothing beyond your power. Lord Jesus, give us the faith to believe. Give us the faith to receive. Give us the healing power that this man experienced. And give us the new life, the eternal life, the glorious life, the good life, the life that never ends, the life that hears you call our name, the life that calls us forth from the grave, the the, the great power that will invite us into our eternal destiny where all of your children are healed, where the lame run, where the sick are no more, where the blind see where the deaf hear and where the sad rejoice because death is no more and Jesus is for all eternity we say amen